You've got Tim Thomerson playing Gene slash Gene. Oh, I get so excited. What? Go get him, Commander. And boy, that's not a problematic character. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, that was one of the main things I wanted to talk about. Just watching it, watching it now, it's like, oh no. <laughs> uh, oh no. When we were messaging each other last night, I mentioned this old series, Quark, from the 70s yes. with Richard Benjamin. Yes. This goes back to, this is like a while ago. Uh, somebody commented on the, the Salvage One Lost Saucer for Art Space Nuts video. Yeah. of ours and sergeant dave said salvage one must be a prequel to quark and at the time it didn't ring a bell to me i said well wow oh, i don't really? remember that one and i must have oh. i think i looked it up to see yeah, it was another another series about salvaging out you know salvage operation out of space but i i didn't it didn't ring a bell but I, recently i i stumbled across it somewhere i think it was on youtube i actually saw some footage or an image of richard benjamin right as adam cork on the show and then yep. it hit me i was like now I remember it. My name is Adam Quark, commander of this ship. And so I went oh, and watched it. I didn't it need my, that kind of a, when you're like, would you care to watch the first episode of Quark? I was like going, dude, I mean, it's true. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't watched it in years, but yeah. Quark, it only lasted eight episodes. Eight episodes. Uh, and in my mind, I mean, I, I can remember it. Activate autograph. Auto grab activated. So it was a real blast from the past watching that. And after I watched that, I watched the the first episode because what you sent me was the pilot. Oh, okay. Um, and then the first episode, and I did watch that going, oh, this is odd. Where's the plant guy? We plants never feel pressure. The worst we do is wilt. Because mm-hmm. he's not in it. And the first episode of the series, which is a prolonged Star Wars riff, where they have the source instead of the force. The source. And it's making dumb Star Wars jokes. That had the plant guy in it. And they had gotten rid of the doctor guy with the eye patch. He only was in the pilot. Uh, They kept the android. But it was in there going like, oh, wow, yeah, this is what I actually remember more than that pilot episode. Yeah. They, re- I, they I, reconfigured it a little bit. It was mind blowing to me because I, I do vividly remember that now watching it. I don't I mean, I probably never saw the pilot, but I just think the setting and the characters mm-hmm. I remember. Mm-hmm. I will say this about it. For those who are not familiar, this was a Buck Henry project. Buck Henry, brilliant writer, director and just comedic star of the 70s what really launched buck henry was he's the guy who adapted the novel the graduate for film he wrote the screenplay of the graduate based on the novel yes and he was kind of an undergroundy guy anyway uh and that made his name and he worked with mel brooks like closely he was one of the guys who came up with get smart this makes perfect sense Quark, just like Get Smart and just like another Mel Brooks one from the 70s called When Times Were Rotten. Do you remember that one? Hold your tongues! No. No! That was a one season. Uh, when Times Were Rotten was Mel Brooks doing a Robin Hood parody. Guys, guys, where's the man? Where's Robin? Oh. Pass the salt, would you please, Friar? Long before he did Robin Hood Men in Tights. Wow. 
Yeah, it was for TV, and, you know, same thing. He just did parodies. And you ask the question, why is this man our leader? Helen, please. Mel Brooks was the parody guy for so long. So Get Smart was a parody of the spy genre, and Get Smart still can crack me up. It's just... It's not yeah. all genius, but it's so good. And Buck Henry was the main writer and co-creator. When Times Are Rotten, Buck Henry wasn't involved with that, but that was right before Quark. So Mel Brooks did his Robin Hood parody, and it didn't last very long. Then Buck Henry is like, ooh, Star Wars. So he did Quark as a parody of Star Trek, Star Wars, Flash Gordon, all that stuff. And I will say, re-watching it, what I realize is there are jokes here and there that still land. Richard Benjamin's always great. Yes. Uh, the guy, and also a very talented director, but but as a comedic actor, very funny. So he's good. Uh, you've got Tim Thomerson, who was big-time stand-up guy at the time, playing Gene slash Gene. Gene? Hi, sir. We've got him. Are we on full magnoscope? Yes, my commander. And, boy, that's not a problematic character. <laughs> I was about to say, that was one of the main things I wanted to talk about. Just watching it watching it now, it's like, oh, no. Uh, oh, no. Um, At so mean, many levels. But it has an explanation. But then you're also sitting there going, they cast him because I bet in his stand-up he would do probably a fake character. And so they're like, oh, we could use him as – and then you're like, there you yeah. go. So – and, you know, it has stock kind of – set up jokes one of the things i laughed at in that first episode it's totally stupid is um you've got the scientist guy the old crazy scientist with the eye patch he goes a totally varied wave cycle do you understand what that means don't you know what that means and richard Benjamin goes what does it mean i wish i knew <laughs> i mean it's like that kind of dumb stuff yeah. and at the very end of the episode they're like where the android kind of saves the day and they're like going andy yeah you're you're great. And what's more, the more time you spend with us, we're going to keep perfecting you. And eventually, you'll be just like us. You'll be as human as we are. What do you think of that? And then the robot goes, the android goes, get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some I, of I the setups and the jokes work, but you, it. someone in the comments, did you read any of the comments under the YouTube video? Mm, one of the, one no. of the comments was... Um, I think this worked really well on paper is what the guy. Yeah. Yeah. I did see that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I do think that the pacings kind of, it's not quite good. There's the laugh track. That's not. Yeah. That was every show of the seventies. Yeah. You can even hear that. Have those laughs that you hear. You you recognize. I've heard that. that Yeah. There's always that one coffee guy. Like, like (laughs) it's like, (laughs) like there's laughter, but in it, you hear this guy going, and I'm like, I know that guy. I've heard that <laughs> in every show. And but, there's the high pitch uh, cackle. The, the, <laughs> whatever that is. That's the thing is, is you can literally. That's the soundtrack of our lives, man. Is because yeah. they use the same tracks for everyone. But, but but I kept thinking I was like, this would be so much better without the laugh track if they just yeah get it out because the, the comic time, really the, the timing was good enough. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, it looks cheap. I mean, and that's okay if you're doing a parody sci-fi show. Yeah. Uh, but you're like, ooh. Well, I thought right. I thought that actually I was kind of surprised at how good it did look. Yeah, it's way low budget 
by today's standards, but for 1970s, it looks just about as good as Star Trek did. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. There's a and they use all the Star Trek sound effects too. They it's do. Just they full do. Of nothing but. And you're like, what? Oh, great. The, the I will say it was well written. In addition to a cool concept or a funny concept, especially that first one, which is Buck Henry wrote it, and you're like, he's not phoning it in. Like some of the stuff he's using terms and and alien races and the concept of the head and all this stuff. I'm like, this is well thought out even though it's um it's not as hilarious as i thought it was when i was a kid it's this is a show where we revisit things and go oh uh, yeah (laughs) it's not now i know why it only lasted eight episodes (laughs) parts of it i thought i mean the the timing like the robot i thought was hilarious richard benjamin's reactions to everything of course because he's always great he's his his timing it's great him wrestling with that amoeba like pet that he has yeah that was really funny okay come on come and get it come on and that plasma puppet thing is actually pretty cool (laughs) yeah you know what that reminded me of and this is the the uh, there's so many things that this reminds me of that, uh, that came before and after um yeah or Sort of, we've been developing at the same, about to say at Red the same Dwarf? time. No, but Dark Star. All right, where are you? Dark, Dark Star, Star you yes. remember John Carpenter's yeah. Dark Star? Oh, yeah. Come on, quit playing around. Because uh, that, that, that alien, it's not exactly the same, but that it reminded me of the beach ball alien yeah, from, the big from, beach from ball. Dark Star. <laughs> come on, come on. <laughs> yeah. The claws. Uh, and I was going to say Red Dwarf, which is actually a better sci-fi parody, mainly because Red Dwarf is British and Red yeah. Dwarf was going for like the Brits in general are great at surreal humor. And this, what Buck Henry created, Quark is more literally borscht belt joke, set up punchline, set up punchline. The main problem with the Gene Gene character, besides it being problematic, is the fact that in that first episode, you get you know the rhythm. So every yeah. single time that character's on screen, he'll start as the tough guy and then follow it up almost immediately with, oh. All right. So, sorry, we haven't explained it. Quark was a sci-fi parody show that lasted eight <laughs> episodes in 77. And the gimmick or the concept is done like Star Trek, where you've got the ship captain, he's doing captain notes, you know, instead of the captain's log. And uh, and so you're like, ooh, he's a starship captain. And then you realize his starship is a garbage truck, a garbage mm-hmm. scow. And his job, which is beneath him, but he's still, re- you know, willing to do it, is collecting trash in space. Uh, with his crazy crew, and his crew is two twin actresses, but they're playing a woman and her clone, and they're both named Betty. And the whole gag is, and they're very cute, and they're, it's 1970s, so they're wearing very tight Lycra outfits. The heel on my boot is loose. Uh, <laughs> but the whole thing is, uh, the captain... Adam Quark likes one of them. I'm extremely fond of Betty. If only I knew which Betty it was that I am extremely fond of. 
He just doesn't know which one. No, which one? Because they talk in, in sync. Betty? Yes? Take it up three points. Uh, three, Commander. In unison, and they both accuse the other one of being the clone. Because she's only a clone. I'm the real person. She is not. It's not true. Easy, Betty. Which actually is a joke that Robert Kirkman used in Invincible. Trusted the flawed calculations of a clone. Clone? He oh. had these two supervillains who are these massive mutant guys who are also scientific geniuses. Oh, that's Can't right. Their that's names. right. And they're always going, you're my clone. They was like, nope, I'm the original. You're the clone. Don't start. I'm the original. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm like, good, Robert Kirkman. We watched the same show when we were kids. But anyway, so Betty and Betty are the hotties. And there's also Gene Gene. So G-E-N-E slash J-E-A-N. And there's a name for this type of human. And I think they call them, is it transmorphs? Transmute. Or transmute. Our chief engineer is a transmute, Gene. Or as he or she is sometimes called Gene. And the idea is they have both male and female sets of hormones. Transmutes are just like everyone else, except, of course, for the fact that they have a full set of male and female chromosomes. So essentially it's a dumb gag. So you can have Tim Thomerson, who is, was, I think he may still be alive. Sorry, don't want to say he's dead. He was a big stand-up comic at the time, did Tonight Show all the time. Lots of movies, He did, and he did some, a lot of B-movie stuff. But the whole thing is, so he's either really tough, the manliest man, like, I got it, Captain. Have you finished the auto system checkout? Checkout completed, power loaders at maximum. Good. And then he'll turn around and go, And guess what? What? I've almost finished my needlepoint. <laughs> That's yeah. the whole thing. In one body, he's both man and woman. And there are bad jokes where you've got someone going, yeah. Would you make your brother or sister marry one? <laughs> the guy, the sort of tra- transmutophobic character. Won't you tell me what happened? Get away from me, Doc. Yes, the transmutophobic. I think it's just because I thought the guy was actually pretty funny and he delivered his lines well. Yeah, there wasn't much story stuff they could do with him. He was a scientist, the onboard specialist guy who knows a lot, but is also scatterbrained and he has an eye patch. That was a dumb joke. Like Buck Henry wrote, it's like (laughs) he has an eye patch because he spent too many hours at the microscope and fell asleep. So he poked his eye. That's like, uh, and he's the one building the robot in the second episode where they just pretend the doctor didn't exist. The robot's still there, Andy, the Android, but they say that Quark built him. Oh, so they just like write the doctor out as like, um, nope, that's Quark's robot. I'd like to say, I'm sorry to commander Quark. He built me with his own hand. So you got him building a robot, which is a terrible looking, literally silver box robot with like vacuum cleaner tube arms and a big fancy whirling light thing on it i can't believe i'm doing this i must have my wires crossed and it's just always getting things wrong like it says everything is fine thank you thank you you're welcome and they're like you're welcome uh i feel wonderful (laughs) 
But that's the whole thing, and they report to the Galactic, United Galactic, whatever. As you know, I am Dr. Otto Palindol, superintendent-in-chief of Perma One. Conrad Janis, and this would have been what he did right before Mork and Mindy. Mork and Mindy, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he's funny. He's the officious bureaucrat, and then the head of the uh, the head of the United Galactic whatever Space Patrol is literally called the head, and he's on a like a visual screen, and it's just a floating head with this enormous cranium, makeup cranium, and then they do lots of terrible jokes like "You think you have a headache." Can you imagine a migraine the size of a supernova? <laughs> no, sir. You're like, stop. Just stop. <laughs> this is an example. So many things this reminds me of. There was, There's a lot of Dark Star. I have to think that yep. Buck Henry had to have seen Dark Star, which came out about three years before. The humor in Dark Star is, is surprisingly... Uh, oh, it's very similar. That's not for target practice. That's for emergencies only. This, this all in, uh, inspired uh, Douglas Adams, I think. That was the main thing I kept thinking of. This reminds me of Hitchhiker's Guide, because Andy... Yeah, the, it has that he's same... Like, he's like Marvin... In the in the BBC, I think you ought to know I'm feeling very depressed. You know, like you say that we're that Andy trying to make love to the to that yeah the whatever the that apparatus thing that causes him to accidentally eject the garbage, which saves him. I love you. I need you. Reminded me a bit. It's not exactly the same, but it reminded me of the bomb. You know, the self the (laughs) the artificially intelligent bombs in Dark Star. Bob, are you with me? Of course. Whom they and if that that was very Douglas Adams. Very. Are you willing to entertain a few concepts? I am always receptive to suggestions. Fine. The philosophical conversations yeah. that they have to have with the bomb to convince it to not explode. <laughs> yeah. Think about this then. How do you know you exist? Well, of course I exist. But how do you know you exist? It is intuitively obvious. So Douglas Adams. But I, I totally I had forgotten about Dark Star because I that that was a cult classic basically it was a student film yeah. that John Carpenter did, which was released in theaters many times and, uh, and in subsequent years was a success. But I mean because it was made for nothing, yeah. But it became such an underground hit, uh, and reviewers were like, "That guy had fifty dollars, and he turned out one of the most entertaining sci-fi movies in years." <laughs> and that kind of launches John Carpenter. Of course, he mm-hmm. that didn't launch him, but it was able. He's then able to do things like, "Oh, I'll do eventually Halloween," and we all say, "Thank you very much, Mister Carpenter." One of the greatest yeah. films of all time. I, and I the thing, oh, right? I love Halloween. Oh, he eventually did the thing. Yeah, the I thing came from New York. After. Was that him? Escape from New, New York. York. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, one of my again, favorite ones he did, right. which I think he, I think he hated this film because I think he did it because he felt it was like a something he did so he could do something else so he could get funding yeah. for some other film. Yeah, Diary of the Invisible Man with with Chevy Chevy Chase. Well, we <laughs> me really and John. <laughs> well, me and John covered it on our podcast when we got to the nineteen eighties. Um, oh, the monster. And, okay, yeah, of course. And so it was something that I hadn't watched in a long time. I liked it in the theater. Rewatching it, there are still parts of it I do like. And both John and I decided the thing that mainly works against that movie is them rewriting it for Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase, when he's in the right project, 
even though he's a monster human that we all know now, thanks to everyone who's ever worked with him coming out and going, he's awful. But as a comedic actor, he had this sweet spot where he would kill me. But in that one, they're trying to make him a slightly action hero guy in it, but they still have to give him his Chevy chase moments. And then you're like, Oh, I don't know if that really is helping the movie, but they have that amazing practical set where the, the lab, uh, when the thing gets set off and parts of the lab are invisible, that was a practical set, a full building, full skyscraper with these carved out pieces. And when you're looking at, you're like going, damn, because John Carpenter, he may not have like been like totally jazz. And I did read that he was like, this was the worst working experience of my life because of Chevy. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, he put some amazing stuff in there. And it was one of the first movies where they're like going, look at what we can do now with Invisible. Yeah, effects. yeah. Like him the, chewing this- the gum and you're just seeing the gum in air getting like chewed up and going down to the esophagus. Great. Mm-hmm. The thing, the scene that really stuck with me was when one of the scenes where he and Sam Neill, Sam Neill's a bad guy in the movie. They and have a Sam Neill is bringing it so hard in that that John yeah. and I are like going, "Oh, you're so much better than what you've been given." I love that guy. <laughs> I love. But him. The, there's a scene where I think I think uh, Chevy's character has him in a in a chokehold or something because they they're mm. wrestling in a hallway somewhere. Oh and yeah. Says, "Do you have any idea yeah. what it's like to close your eyes?" And you know, because he's saying he can't sleep normally because right. he, he can't when he closes his eyes he can still see because he sees through his own eyelids yeah like yeah wow, i never thought about that yeah it's pretty uh, intense i mean the movie has some smartness to it and it was based on a novel and again i think that had they not had that lead and I, again i like chevy chase as an actor but if they had had someone where they could have taken it slightly darker more real or something like that and actually turned it into desperate guy who's been turned invisible um yeah it could have been a minor classic is what i'm yeah. saying but yeah i i enjoyed re-watching quark i think it was destined not really to make it but buck henry's sensibilities as far as parody and mel brooks's are so aligned and when, again talk about when they're on best stuff in the world yeah, uh, I think Quark is not, a... but I remembered it completely from when I was a kid. They never made any toys. There was never like you never had his garbage scow ship. So I think had it gone like a couple of seasons, there would have been Quark toys. Mommy, get me Betty one and Betty two. Yeah, somebody mentioned some along those lines. Somebody mentioned that in a comment under the uh, electric woman and diner girl. Uh, video that it was a shame that they never really had any toys or many, there wasn't much merch apparently for that at the time. They, they, I think they did a little, but you're absolutely right. There wasn't a lot. The Croft super shows technically only lasted like three years, I think two or three years. And even though they really just set in my brain and it's probably because they got rerun over and over and over again, like even though the studios or the, networks we're not going to pay them to make more they're like well we own the rights so let's just start at the beginning again there you go there's some more bigfoot and wild boy and the kids are like going i don't even know i've already seen it (laughs) um so i think it seemed like it lasted longer but i i do remember puzzles 
Uh, you remember, uh, cl- uh, well, not chloroforms. What were they called? <laughs> Color forms? You remember those? They were the uh, static electricity little peel off. They weren't stickers because there was nothing sticky on them. But you had the little sets that were like a, a shiny uh, uh, board. Yeah, and yeah, you could, yeah, yeah. like, here's an action pose. I had a Batman and Robin one. Right. You could put, yeah. like, a. Uh, Kapows in there. You could put a Batmobile yeah. in the background, and you could rearrange them however you liked. And I think yeah. that they had an Electric Woman and Dinah Girl of those. I don't know if there was even dolls. I did see that uh, because I've said this before on the podcast. They're these modern companies that are highly vintage retro. Uh, including Mego, who made those eight-inch action figures like the Superman I, I showed you right. uh, from the 70s. Mego came back because people bought the name, and then they're like, we're going to use the same molds and recreate all those dolls from back then, um, but we're going to do extras and different ones, and they've gotten into real niche stuff. I think they've done Electro Woman and Dynagirl now. And so I'm like, wow. So there wasn't one in the 70s, but now if you've just got a hankering and you need to have Judy, uh, was uh, Laurie and Judy, yeah, you can get them. Yeah, I, need to, I, I was trying to find stuff. I, I, and uh, my birthday just, is in March. Okay. I'm just, yes. that's a little hint. <laughs> a little hint. A couple other things too, that getting back to Cork just briefly, and then we'll move on to this we'll next question. We'll yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is, probably things you're not familiar with because i know you didn't have a com- you weren't playing computer games uh text adventures Fine. and all that stuff but um, uh, <laughs> i mean i did play uh zork and seventh guest those were early do, i do played remember, those at friends houses do you remember so i never Fall? finished them no do you remember planet fall that was another infocom game very much in this vein of sci-fi humor where you played ah. uh, you started off as a janitor on a starship and <laughs> the humor is it's very much like cork so that there's that and of course i mean planetfall was also heavily influenced by hitchhiker's guide which and had hitchhiker had a, had its own game oh, adaptation gosh, yeah. and oh, yeah. then which was terry jones right? uh terry jones of uh monty python did was it starship titanic which was an interactive computer game with Monty Python esque humor set in space. I was think it was called Starship? Starship Titanic. Well, there was one that was done by Steve Moretzky, who who co wrote. Well, who Steve Moretzky did Planetfall. He also did. He basically did the Hitchhiker's Guide game because yeah. Doug, Douglas wasn't really. He, he would lose that interest in projects notoriously. Yeah, yeah, he would be there, and then he would just kind of disappear. So Steve had to finish the game. It's <laughs> mostly his his creation. Oh, man, I'm totally wrong. You know what I need to do? Stop drinking. (laughs) Starship Titanic was actually um, Douglas Adams. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So I think he came up with, you know, oh, this is why I thought it. The game's voice cast includes Terry Jones and John Cleese. There you go, yeah. And Terry Jones wrote the tie-in novel. Douglas Adams' Starship Titanic was written okay. by Terry Jones. That's where I got that from. But it was Douglas Adams who came up with the concept, and it was Douglas Adams, Michael Bywater, and Neil Richards were the writers of it. Uh, must be and it came out in 98. Yeah. Steve Moretzky did something else similar around that time, but it was a different Well, let's not title. fight. I don't, I don't like this when we get, like, just, you know. <laughs> I can't remember what it's called right now. But anyway. And the other thing too, you probably don't know this. This is very 
to me, it's obscure anyway, because I never, I don't think I've ever met anybody who, who is familiar with this author. Harry Harrison. Does that ring a bell? Who? Novelist Harry Harrison. The name's familiar, but again, I worked in a bookstore he, for 12 years and I may have probably he, just seen it. He, he wrote, he was a sci-fi comedy novelist. There was a series he had called Bill the Galactic Hero, which was like Bill the Galactic silly. Hero. Yeah. I never read are, those, but yes, through working at the bookstore, I used to look at those and go like, oh, it looks like fun. Never read them. Which I, I had to refresh my memory. I looked up the original uh, came out in 65. And then I think oh, on wow. the heels of the success of Hitchhiker's Guide, I'm guessing he came out they with a series of five, five oh. sequel novels he came out with in the late 80s. And I read a lot of those. And I remember those, the books, I just have very distinct memories of laughing out loud, reading them because they're just so silly. I remember um, but- uh, looking at the, I, what I think I didn't know that the first one came out in 65, because I think it probably has been re-released I, a few times. And the cover yeah. art looks very modern. Right. Now, obviously. I didn't know that till today. when I looked it up, I was like, Oh, well, there so you I just go from the eighties. Um, okay. Anyway, moving on. Moving um, on. Our, Nothing to see our, here. Our longtime uh, viewer, Manisman, and also now Patreon Manisman. supporter. Thank you. Um, You're awesome. He said he, he's, you know, he's seen Oppenheimer and Barbie, and he loved both of them. I'm seeing Oppenheimer on Friday. Oh, you are? Oh, good. Good. Okay. In 70 millimeter. Yay. Yeah. Um, so I love, wa- I love watching historical epics, and I think this is Nolan's best movie so far. Mm. Recently, I also watched a Soviet war film, Come and See, by Alan Klimov. And yeah, that that's of, a, another. Movies. I haven't seen it. You haven't seen it? Okay. It's one of the greatest movies ever made, albeit being very hard to watch. Wow. Um, some people say that it's the only war film that is truly anti war. So I'm very intrigued to see this. But then he asks uh, on the same note, what are your favorite historical epics slash war films that you've encountered over the years? I immediately Ooh. thought of 1917, which is a more recent film, but I, which I was I absolutely haven't seen still. Out. I, and I think it's on one of the streaming services, so I can uh, check it out. I mean, it, yeah. it sounded good. I remember the trailer being awesome, and I was intrigued by the concept of it's basically in real time. Real time in one long shot. At least it's one long it's shot. filmed to make it look like it's one continuous shot. That's it's incredible. Amazing. Yeah. And the, the fact that it is it unfolds in real time, yeah. It, it's I read incredible. that question, and it did send me down kind of a mental rabbit hole, and I historical epics i not sure if i have an answer i do like a historical epic but as far as war films and his comment on it being uh the first true anti-war film i i would say because i gave it some thought i would say that pretty much any war film from the 60s on after the john wayne period of you know, the 1940s, 50s, we did it. We beat the Nazis. And so every war film is still really clean, shot on, you know, sound stages and very ultra patriotic. Once we got past that and the Vietnam War happened, almost every war film that's come out has been walking that line of, yes, these are heroic men and heroic story, but war is horrible. So a lot of them. And uh, I could point to Apocalypse Now all day, love it, even though, of course, it is an adaptation of Heart of Darkness more than a war film. But it's definitely a war film, too. Love that one. I also, the recent All Quiet on the Western Front, the German-produced one that won the uh, Oscar or won some Oscars. 
I saw that on Netflix and it's earth shatteringly good. And I think it had something to do with a German finally did that story instead of it being all these, you know, American filmmakers. And also the budget was really big. So it's, uh, it's devastating and it's also really well shot. Mm -hmm. Saving Private Ryan. I'd say that movie really walks the fine line because it's Spielberg. So it does walk a line of like, these are patriotic, heroic men, but he also allows them to be crazy human. And you are seeing, especially the opening 20 minutes, he's not going to sugarcoat it. He's not going to sugarcoat it. This is how horrifying the Omaha Beach landing was. And you're like, good Lord. And then I'll say this, my, my wrap up, my favorite war film and i think the most anti-war film of all time and stay with me uh dr strangelove or how i learned to stop worrying and love the bomb i mean it is a comedy but it is the blackest comedy of all time where it's all about the interests of organizations and the military industrial complex and it has none of them are factoring in humanity at all and it comes down to these petty arguments uh you know no fighting in the war room it's just brilliant it's brilliant and it leaves you cold because it's funny and then at the end you're like holy shit the world could end through something that stupid the world could end through I think about that all the time. It's like there are, I mean, Donald Trump had the nuclear codes. At any point, he could have gone, you know what? Don't like those guys. Boom. It could have happened. So, yes, I think the greatest anti-war film of all time is Dr. Strangelove. And it is also in my top ten of movies of all time. Love it. Love it. That that makes me think of, and this is not at all in the same class as Dr. Strangelove, but and that's not even really a war movie, but war games. Um, war games again. That's uh, that's another thing. I where, love that and movie. Yeah, I do. I, and actually, that one holds up. It's not about whether the tech it, is ancient, because of course you look at it going, Jesus. But <laughs> but it does a really good job of being like a young kid uh, adventure, which they were doing a lot in the eighties, where it was like yeah. teens are our saviors, like Last Starfighter, which is a movie I also will always, you know, tout. I love it. Uh, it's not a serious comment on war either, but the, in the eighties, there are all these movies about teenagers are, are smarter than you think, and they might save us. And it's another thing about how fragile world safety uh, is when it's driven by tech that we've built. And, of course, the idea of AI is so hot right now. People should revisit it because the whole thing is uh, we created a Frankenstein monster and we can't stop it. The only Mm -hmm. way is for this kid to logic his way through it and save all of our asses. So movies also in the 80s, by the way, you can back me up on this. They were shoving nuclear panic down our throats. Yeah, that was the second Cold War with Russia. So we. I remember the day after that miniseries scared my pants off because it was a realistic, this is what would happen. This is after the nuclear bombs drop and people's skin is flaking away and stuff like that. And do you remember special bulletin? 
Is that the one TV where the movie? where the terrorists that, have a bomb and it blows yes. up? Yes, and and they the do cl- it in real time, like you're watching news reports. Yeah. So it is this whole thing of like some terrorists, and I think Boston Harbor have a suitcase nuke on a boat in Boston Harbor, yeah. and they're like going, "If our demands aren't met, we're going to set it off," and. It just keeps cutting back to the news crews like going, well, uh, the negotiators are moving in and all this. And then it, it ends with the nukes go off and literally yeah. it's like the screen Blows goes up. white. I wow. think it's Charleston, South Carolina is where it's set. Oh, maybe it was South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's so. another thing where you're like going, damn, they were really making sure we were free. <laughs> yeah, I, I vividly remember that scene where the, where the bomb and blows up and you see the aftermath. the same period. We were yeah. just constantly aware reagan and gorbachev it's like one of these guys could just push that button and, and again you have somebody reasoning with a computer uh using logic you know which again harkens back to dark star in a way where, and where harkens it doesn't work back to star trek <laughs> yeah yeah oh heavily yeah i, I just love the whole was it nomad that nomad, episode where right. nomad is is like the um the doomsday device and he's basically going like ah so you say, and it's just Kurt going, going like, oh, but if your your programming says you can't do this and your makers are us humans or whatever it is, it's like going, can't deal with paradox. And then it just shuts down. <laughs> old, it's awesome. The old does not compute. Uh, does not trope. compute. What is love, Jim Kirk? <laughs> and then steam comes out of its ears and it doesn't even have ears. <laughs> <laughs> got, uh, Andy, Andy, the Android and Quark is like nomad on on steroids. Like, yeah. I want you. I need you. <laughs> oh, I, I, that was almost like it's quoting song lyrics. I like that. He's trying to hump so, this. He's trying so to hump silly. this like uh, this like drive. It's like a, this it looks big, like a water heater. Yeah, it looks like a water heater. Uh, and they're like going, uh, Andy, don't do that. That's not another <laughs> robot. OK, that's part of the it's an important part of the, the ship. I want you. I need you. <laughs> um, and I'm glad that robots will always talk like that. Even now, you watch something like Westworld on HBO, and they are still talking like. <laughs> I think that'd be uh, awesome if they had these great actors, you know, and like Ed Harris is in Westwood. He's like going, stop right there. I will shoot you down. Beep, boop. Beep boop. That did you is watch not that, how West- that show? I did. I watched did the first boop? two seasons, and then the third season, not because I didn't want to watch it. I think there was a big delay or something, and I just lost track. So I never well, saw it, the third season. I couldn't. Where it goes I into the world yeah. instead of being Westworld. It, so it's it had, not even um, the same show. Yeah, it's not even really the had, same story um, anymore. It had uh, what's his name who played Jesse on uh, Breaking Aaron, Bad? Uh, Paul Aaron. Aaron Paul. Aaron Paul. And he's yeah. great. So I I might revisit just to see where they left off. I, I got kind of turned off by because it's like, oh, now it's like the Terminator or something. And it's not this this clever psychological that, that first thriller. first season is still really powerful. Yeah. Uh, it's an example like, like the later Battlestar Galactica where you take the basic concept of something that was popular but cheesy. And then they go, let's smarten it up. And it worked. Um, I do love original Battlestar Galactica and still think that that concept without what they did could be re uh, revisited because definitely, I think it's still a great, 
I mean, that show is, you know, it's kind of garbage, but at the same time, the concepts are all really good. And I love the designs of everything, the, the, ships, so the helmets, the yeah. Cylons, all of it. So I would do that. I did enjoy the reboot because the reboot was really smart. It went on too long. And I think they didn't quite know where they were headed, just like Lost, where they're like, uh, okay, this is yeah. how it ends. Yeah. But for a reboot uh, where they said, let's just do the smarter version. Yeah. Those are two successes. We go yeah. off on tangents, man. We were talking about it's something totally time. different. Eight. Oh, we were talking about war movies and actually i'd be interested just you know post that ask our our viewers you know their takes on some of these war films or like the nuclear panic stuff uh if they also have things they'd like to chime in on uh because we know a lot of stuff but we always get people saying like well did you see this and i do want to see come and see because that's been getting a lot of great you know uh reviews I was trying to look this up and I, I it's too, I, I can't, I think I got the name wrong. So I, I can't remember. It's an Italian director. He's like sort of like the Italian Woody Allen. Um, wow. Um, you, you would know him, but he, he did a, a war film back in the nine early or late eighties, early nineties, where he plays a guy who protects his son that he's, he's, he's in a, in a, Oh, a you mean life is beautiful. Or, Yes. Roberto Panini. Uh, is it Roberto Panini? Okay. Roberto Panini. Sorry. I was looking up Richard Bernini and I couldn't find it. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That was – wasn't that kind of a controversial movie because it, it sort of – it's a, it's portrayed almost – it's it's a tragic comedy, I guess. And it is a tragic comedy. Some people have issues um, with, I think, portraying the, the Holocaust in that light. Also, but. some people find – What's really interesting to me, oh man, sorry, you just opened a can of rabbit hole. Uh, <laughs> because uh, Life is Beautiful was a surprise hit. Uh, it was well made, but a lot of people find him, and more than Woody Allen, he was definitely, here come the cops again. I don't know if you can of hear course. them. Yeah. It makes it sound like I'm living in Skid Row. <laughs> so they go like, Chad, I gotta wrap this up. I gotta get these cans to the store. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> the whole thing is he's basically like Italy's Jerry Lewis. So a lot of people find his okay. his clownish stuff because he also writes and directs his own stuff, which is very yes. Jerry Lewis as well. He's a little over the top, and people find him a little like much. Uh, you remember when he won the Oscar, the whole thing about him climbing over the, the chairs and then hugging people and going, I love you. I, I make love to all of you. And you're like, OK, buddy. OK. <laughs> I mean, I find him amusing and I've liked things he's been in. And Life is Beautiful is probably his best thing ever. It's heartfelt. But yes, putting a comedy in um, in a concentration camp, even though he's not skirting the darkness the whole point is he's trying to make it seem to his kid who's in the same camp that this is all a fun game but what what really strike and i don't think they interviewed him with this specific question did you just steal this from jerry lewis because jerry lewis's famous unreleased film the day the clown cried uh is the same thing essentially except for it's not a family man 
the whole thing is Jerry Lewis got a hold of a script, which was about a clown, an actual circus clown in uh, wartime Germany. And I believe he's Jewish, perhaps. I can't remember if he's supposed to be or not. But the whole thing is he tries to make life bearable in the camps for the kids by he uses like bird shit to make like the white mouth. He's using like charcoal to make the uh, clown makeup. And then he performs skits and the kids are all, oh, they're laughing. And then the, the camp guards basically at the end of the movie are like, your last job is to take them to the showers. And so it's him leading the kids into the showers, like, yeah, let's play a game. And he's crying the whole time, goes in, and he dies with the kids. Boy, what a what a laugh riot. Now, um, the script wasn't supposed to have Jerry Lewis-y pathos moments or Jerry Lewis wacky bits. So I remember reading an article where the original screenwriters like, we were very hesitant that Jerry Lewis was going to make the movie. Uh, and they said, and then he changed some stuff. He made it schmaltzier, which actually makes that not work because if he's doing all the Jerry Lewis, I'm just a little kid kind of stuff. It's like, no, don't, don't do that. And he worked in like, I tripped, I fell over. Oh, Oh, Mr. Nazi God, please forgive me. Tripped over your shoe. Oh, but he still wants to have that emotional punch at the end. Plus the fact that that man, when he was making the movie, had very little money to make it and was at the height of his uh, Percocet addiction, uh, oh, no. which he did. He did admit later. He's like going, I was not I'm proud of what I made, but I was not in my right mind uh, while I was making it. And he never released it. And only some people would get to watch what he had assembled. Like he would ask. take it out of the vault and show it to some people. Didn't Jerry Seinfeld get to see it? I'm just no, not Jerry Seinfeld. It was uh, Harry Shearer. Harry Shearer. Harry Shearer. There was an article in Spy Magazine back in the 80s, which was one of my favorite satirical mags. And they did an entire article on the day the clown cried where they're like, this is the movie you're never going to see. But they interviewed every living person they could find who had seen it that Jerry had shown it to. Harry Shearer was one of them. And they did like an oral history where you would just cut from one person to another person describing what they witnessed. And Harry Shearer's quote uh, is something like, it is something so horrible that it's beautiful. <laughs> he, he basically said, it is the worst thing you've ever seen, which makes it the best thing I've ever seen. Like he was like, I, he was honored oh. to watch it. And when it's yeah. over, it's like Jerry Lewis would turn and like, what'd you think? And then it's like, <laughs> uh, it's like masterpiece, Jerry masterpiece. <laughs> and I think nine minutes of it was released after his death or a, a chunk oh. of it on YouTube with his estate's approval. So you can find footage, uh, entire scenes, but still the full movie that will probably never be released. When was it that he made this? Uh, 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 Like 69 or 71 or, I mean, it's, it's before he went, tried to go back to doing, he got off the drugs ish and did like hardly working like those terrible eighties movies. He did like hardly working or, Oh, what was the other one? 
he made a couple that were like, I'm old, but I'm still trying to do the thing. Ah! And you're like, oh, this is not working with disco music in the background. And he's like, I'm at a titty bob. And you're like, don't, don't. <laughs> <laughs> by the way i've got i do have jerry on the brain because on pluto tv sometimes uh that's a streaming service that's just live channels like they have an entire channel that's mystery science theater 3000 and it just runs 24 hours like you can just stop in so i'll have it in the background and i had it on their comedy movie channel and I just happened to, it was a day where they were just showing Jerry Lewis movies. And I'm like, great. Because I didn't even need to look up at the screen. I've seen these so many times. I'm like, oh, that's good. I'm done. I'm writing. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm laughing without even seeing it. But they, uh, the ladies' man and Cinderfella, I watched those back to back. And I was like, oh, man, classic Jerry kills me still to this day. Some people hate him. I love him. Is Cinderella? What, what's the one where he's he's? They have that amazing set where it's in a. Uh, that's the ladies' a man. That's the ladies' man, and that's that was man. also the one where he invented, essentially, uh, video playback. He's the guy that invented that since he was oh. directing it. But also, he's in every scene. He had attached to the film camera. He had an instant playback, uh, like cheap video thing, so he could. Do a take, run, watch it, and then go back. That now, of course, every director is constantly referring to that stuff. And it's all mm. digital now. But literally, right. Jerry Lewis is he was kind of an innovator. And that set yeah. was an entire sound stage. It's insane. Yeah. Cutaway that was one of, building. Yeah. All these rooms. That was back back when we in the early nineties. When, when we still both still live in Houston, that was one of you, we had this ongoing sort of film. Yeah, <laughs> it was like the Brendan curated film festival, and it's like it's just, <laughs> you have to watch this movie. So it was Marx Brothers, it was Ladies yes. Man, yes, uh, Star Trek Next Generation. We you were you were taking me on a tour through like the first couple seasons. Yes, uh, so because yeah. I love my friends and I need <laughs> to share, I need to share. But yeah, yeah that that it, it's still. I know it backwards and forwards and there's still bits that are so well conceived. Uh, there's some that are weird and don't work, but he's always trying something. And it's again, the timing and you can tell the bits where he improvs, where something has gone wrong and leaves it in because, cause he was really good at it. The whole thing with uh, this guy comes to date. One of the ladies, it's an all ladies boarding house and he's house, yeah. the only guy there because he had his heart broken and but he'll work really hard as like their caretaker guy. So they all have a like, oh, Herbie, you're the best. I don't like ladies. Like the whole thing was like his heart was broken. So he's like, I don't want to be around in the ladies because I'm mine. But uh, <laughs> so this this guy comes to date one of the women at the end. So he's like, he's like, go tell Bubba about them here. And he's obviously like a tough guy, a gangster. And <laughs> he sets his hat down on the couch and Herbert, who's Jerry Lewis's character, sits on it. And he goes, that was my new hat. And he goes, oh, it's not so bad. And he's like trying to make it better. It's crushed. He's like, put it on my head. Put it on my head. And the whole <laughs> thing is that guy is simmering. 
Like he is about to destroy and he doesn't look at him. He's looking straight ahead. He's like, yeah, yeah. He goes, that's not what it looked like. Fix the brim. And and it's just, I think I'll have to, if I bend it, like that looks good. It looks like it did, but it doesn't look like it did before. It doesn't look like it. And then the whole thing is everything he's doing to fix the hat is breaking the hat and making it worse. And the guy's just like going, he starts to almost cry by the end. He's like going, yeah, you've ruined, you've ruined my hat. My head is real. <laughs> He's like, I think it looks, should I go away? Should I leave you now? <laughs> and that had to be like the premise was set, but that had to be all improv, right? That between the two actors basically doing, well, a, I think I mean, improv routine. Obviously it was what, like, how it this unfolded. is what it, this is the gimmick and we'll see yeah. where it goes. Right. And in the trivia, they do say, and it, I picked up on it too. Um, there are parts where he purposely goes, blocks you from uh like you can't see his face he goes in front mm. of the guy to work on it you can hear him cracking up slightly yes, because yes. he's losing it jerry lewis of course because the guy he's playing against is a guy he had in a lot of his movies including the nutty professor because like if you want like a really tough guy that jerry lewis can just tromp all over uh you had this dude so yeah he's like going the brim is almost if i tilt and 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 he's like going that's not working that is not working. And you're just literally going, <laughs> sorry, I know that we went down that, that stuff. Yeah. I, I do too. And I like chaotic comedy when it's done well. And him and the Marx brothers are great examples of chaotic comedy. Groucho oh just happens to also be one of the smartest verbal comedians. And that's what makes the Marx brothers amazing. They have three different personalities and they have bits that fit each one of them. And Groucho on his own improvisationally, but also really talented writers who wrote the perfect Groucho lines will live forever. They are unbelievable. Like, I mean, every day, almost, I think of the line. It's like, uh, <laughs> I never forget a face, but in your case, I'll make an exception. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have anyway. so many fun memories of, of uh, Animal Crackers because he, that was one that you introduced me to. Uh, Animal God, Crackers such a being piece. their second one. And one of my favorite scenes is where there's they left this whole mistake in because Groucho ran with it. And it's where he's talking to one of the non-funny people. Uh, I mean, he's, he's a character actor guy. But the character actor messes up and calls Groucho by his own character's name. And, it, and then Groucho goes, wait a minute, I'm Captain Spaulding, you're blah, blah, blah. And he's like going, yeah. yes, yes, I'm sorry. He's doing the Italian accent. He goes, yeah, yeah. He goes isn't that right? I'm, you're Garibaldi, I'm Captain Spaulding. And then he just stands up and he walks up and looks down as if he's looking down like from a stage. He's like going, does anyone have a program I can borrow? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, that brain, the comedy brain. Oh, that man was a god. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. And this and this is not this just making me think of this because I I was working on the the Electro Woman video for for yep. most of the past week. There's a couple of moments in the clips that I use that are, that made me think of this spontaneous stuff because the, first of all, there's one scene where it's just it's from the episode with uh, Spider Lady that I use yeah. this scene where Spider Lady has made herself yes. look like a duplicate of Electro Woman and Dinah Girl hasn't as she knows something's off but she hasn't figured it something's out yet. Something's off. All of a sudden, then all of a sudden the real electric woman comes to the door and the scene where Deidre Hall is coming in at the door as the real electric woman, you can see as she's walking in and you see her go, 
like pull her face down for a second. Like this, she's, <laughs> something's about to make her laugh, but she, she recovers. And just little, little touches like that. And then there's a great moment where, where, uh, that I use where you, you're, you do, a glitter rocks cackle. <laughs> and then I cut to him actually doing the laugh, which is again, musically almost exactly the same as what you just done. I'm so <laughs> he, sad that I have a memory for this crap. And it's, but he runs, he's, he's, he's doing it as he's running to the door. He's about to, he's, he's about, he's supposed to turn to the camera and say, courtesy of glitter rock. And, but he goes, ha, ha, ha. and he turns his head first and he goes, cause he, he lost track of where the camera was. <laughs> he didn't know where the camera was. Cause he can't was. see, he can't see right. through his glasses. And here's another thing that also is a testimony to literally those shows were not only cheap. I doubt they did two takes of anything. Right. I mean, they cranked them out and they're like, the kids are not going to notice or care, you know? So there are little mistakes all through there. I watching the same video. There's the bit where Sideman is talking to Glitter Rock and it was one of the clips he used. And he goes, so you're a, uh, your guitar thing can do. A- <laughs> yeah. And you can hear him kind of like going, wait, what is it? <laughs> so <laughs> you're, uh, you're, um, uh, your guitar thing. It makes people do whatever you want. That, that stuff you do. And they're like, that worked. Moving on. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> Moving on. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, let's wrap it up because I'm about to faint. Yeah, me too. <laughs> cool. Well, this will wrap us. Uh, wait, well, our listeners won't have any us. idea, but we won't no. see each other for at least two weeks. Oh, so. pal. Have a good uh, tour. Thank you. Rock people's asses off. And yeah, you'll have to bleep that. I don't even care. <laughs> Rock people's asses I, off. I, I shall. Okay. Just make sure that when you guys leave that state, there are people that are not able to sit down anymore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> people, the back of their pants goes like A moment like of this. silence. Whoa. <laughs> A moment of silence for all those Soon to be missing asses. <laughs> <laughs> That's another title consideration. Soon to be missing oh, yeah. asses. Yeah, soon to be missing asses. A can of can of rabbit hole or that one, I think. Is. <laughs> <laughs> what a can of rabbit hole. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no? Where am I? <laughs> have you seen my nurse? Anyway, uh, have fun. I'll miss you. I'll watch plenty of movies we can talk about when you get back. Oh, yeah. We should have tons to catch up on uh-huh. by the time they return. All right. Thanks, everybody. And uh, if you enjoy this, please like, subscribe, all that stuff, and join us on Patreon. We've, you'll get to see all this stuff way sooner than anybody else. If he you join might us on not Patreon. even bleep some of the yeah, words I use even on bleep. Patreon. Nice. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. See you Bye. next time.